And welcome to another edition of Las Vegas Notebook. I'm Ira David Sternberg, and my guest is Sheldon Adelson. Sheldon Adelson, of course, is chairman of the board of Las Vegas Sands Incorporated, owners of the soon-to-open Venetian Mega Resort. He's also the creator of Comdex, the world's largest trade show. He's chairman of GWV, a Massachusetts-based travel company. He's a Forbes 400 member and a Las Vegas resident, and has been in the news, I guess, what, the last two or three years here in Las Vegas. Seems that way. Yes, <laughs> it does. So, the latest news thing, let's touch hopefully, on it. Hopefully, it'll become a little more favorable as we get closer to it. And the opening date is April 15th for the Venetian, and I saw some of the designs for the resort, and we're going to touch on the whole aspect of the marketing of the Venetian and how it takes Las Vegas to another level. And, of course, yours is not the only property that's opening this year, but certainly one of the, the better ones, if not the best one, and we'll, we'll let the customers decide, as uh, you like to do. But I wanted to talk a little bit about just... Uh, since it was in the news yesterday, of course, it was the demonstrations by the Culinary Union in front of the Venetian, uh, which went peaceably. Uh, I understand nobody was arrested. And obviously your contention is that the sidewalks are private property owned by the Venetian and then part of it ceded, I guess, to the county for their use on the strip itself. And that's kind of standard for some of the other properties as well. Well, it was standard for the other properties first. Then it became a requirement for us. It was sort of a friendly coercion, so to speak, uh, where the county says uh, that it's required to uh, enlarge, to widen the widen the strip, widen the roadway in front of us, and in doing so, that's that absorbs the sidewalk. Whatever's whatever's there, it takes the curb, it takes the sidewalk. So obviously, you need a sidewalk. So they say, can we put the sidewalk on your property? And we say yes under certain conditions, just like the Mirage does. The Mirage is an example because they're directly across the street from me. They have signage at various places on their on their property that say, "Please notice uh, whatever it says that this pro- this uh, sidewalk is private property." And I guess I don't know what it says, but I suppose it says something to the effect that whatever is objectionable to the mirage can be excluded. For instance, uh, no property owner wants objectionable activity such as uh, smut peddling, drug dealing, prostitution, or any other objectionable uh, activity on their sidewalk. And I think if you have a sidewalk in front of your home, you you don't want that either. So you give, as an owner of private property, you say to the county, okay, uh, if you don't take my property as by eminent domain, which you have the right to do, in which event you could do whatever you'd like. You could have smart peddlers out there, you can have prostitutes, drug dealers, and any other form of behavior you'd like. But if you don't, and you require an easement from me, we will give you an easement that prohibits objectionable uses. However, it gives the, the public the right to pass and repass. And that's what we've done. We've come to an agreement with the national, with the Nevada Department of Transportation, NDOT, and our agreement with them clearly recognizes that we that it is private property, and all of the rights attendant uh, under the Fifth Amendment to uh, to private property applies to us just like it would apply to your sidewalk in front of your home. And we have we have granted an easement that is for the public to pass and repass. And that's it. But we have not made it a, a public forum. It's interesting, too, that you indicated other properties have that precedent set, and yet yours is the only one that, where there was obviously a demonstration, but there are other properties in town. And of course, we talk about Fremont Street downtown, too, where it's an issue of whether it's a private uh, walkway or a public walkway, and who can either demonstrate or raise money or sell pa- well, I, I, I have no knowledge about the, the Fremont Street downtown issue. 
All I could address is the issue of private ownership, just like you would address the sidewalk in front of your home. If you think of it in that comparative term, then I think it would be easy to understand. I mean, the, the nuances of uh, Fremont Street or the Strip, you know, th these are nuances that can uh, cloud the issue. The union is making a bogus issue out of it, and they say that civil rights are union rights. Well, since when did God make, or the Bible, make the union equivalent to civil rights? I mean, there are certain civil rights that people have, and of course, civil rights applies not only to the union bosses, but it seems to me it applies to the guy who provides all the jobs as well, as well as to the guy who performed the jobs. Don't I have civil rights? Does the non-union worker have civil rights? Absolutely. But here the union wants to deprive the non-union worker of putting food on his table, of feeding his children. The union would rather obstruct the development of the Venetian than it would see workers put food on their table. Unless, of course, the workers pay dues to the union. And then that's okay. You mentioned in a, a recent speech that I attended that you gave before the Public Relations Society of America that the Sands Expo actually deals with unions and has a union contract. Well, the entire Venetian is being built with a project labor agreement with the AFL-CIO Construction Trades Department, or whatever it's called. And all the work of the 3,000 workers that have been working for the last two years building the Venetian are all union. So the main point of contention is what then if you're using... Is the culinary union that wants to force us to deprive our future workers. Force us meaning me as the owner of the, uh, the, the, owner of the shares of the company that, that is developing the Venetian. You might call me the owner. It's my belief. Look, my father was a working man when he could get a job, and he drove a taxi. Sometimes he came home with money, sometimes he didn't. When he didn't, there was friction in the family. And who paid the price? The children. I'm one of four. We children paid the price. When our father, a working man, either wasn't treated right by his boss or he had a bad day. I see the face of my father and all the working men that work for me. And I'm going to treat them, and I treat them just like I want my father to have been treated. One of the interesting things is the dichotomy between, and there are a few of you in town that really are dealing with a, a corporation as the main shareholder or owner, and then you have more corporations that are somewhat faceless. And I wanted to get into a little bit about how that works for you in Las Vegas. If you are a high-profile owner-operator, you're one, Steve Wynn is another one, obviously. Uh, Steve Wynn is a 12% shareholder in the company. There's a little difference. I own, there is. I own 100%. But he's also high profile but in he's terms of... He's very high profile and, and, and quite deservedly, but uh, his company is a publicly held company. 88% of the company is owned by the public. And yours is 100%. 100% privately. Right. What happens in a case, and, and I think this is a, a fair question because... We saw it happen with the MGM when they opened uh, originally non-union management change. Now, rightly so, you're the owner, 100% owner. What happens if you decide to either sell a corporation, something happens to you, whatever, God forbid. But in other words, it, other people are now making decisions. The view that you had and the, the background that you have that brought you to where you are in terms of how to deal with your workers, what happens then if that changes? Wouldn't that be something to consider? In other words... If you're not on the scene for whatever reason, something for who to consider. Your position in terms of treating, dealing with your workers, 
is based on your experience growing up in your family, and you talked about it, in fact, in the speech where you grew up in a poor family and there was stress based on the fact that your father wasn't always bringing home money. And you want to operate the Venetian in a way that treats the workers there correct. Sensitive to the needs of the workers. That's Fair. why we have the benefit package right. that is unprecedented. But my question though, right. But my question is, what happens five or ten years down the line? If what happens to a car when you sell your car? I'm just asking. If you treat your car like your child. Agreed. But what I'm saying, if and you're, then somebody buys your car, right? I mean, but what, it's, what but kind of control it's your, can you have? It's your philosophy which guides that. So let's assume that you say so. Well, I, the, the last company that I sold, I required the owner to uh, keep all the employment, not have any terminations, and uh, keep the employees, the employees, in place for a certain amount of time. Now you can't tell a person who buys an asset that he can't exercise his judgment relative to the asset. But when you buy an asset, just think of it like you're buying your car. It has certain advantages that uh, that you want. I mean, you don't, you don't buy a car and take the four wheels off of it. You don't take the engine out to put in a, small, a less powerful engine. You buy the car because it has certain attributes. And if somebody were to buy the Venetian, first of all, it's not for sale. <laughs> if at one time it would have a couple of bucks in my pocket here. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's talk after the program. Okay. <laughs> it's not for sale. Okay. Nobody would buy an asset unless it had certain attributes, certain good characteristics. And somebody who would buy the asset would typically keep those characteristics because that's what made it worthwhile in the first place. And that's what they're buying. Now, when you say, but I'm going to establish policies, I have established policies that are sensitive to the needs of the workers and gives them the, 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 the job security they're looking for and gives them extra benefits because this is an economic, it's not only a, it's a socio-economic issue. It's not just an economic issue. It's a, it's a socially sensitive economic motivation. I have the best place in town. And anybody who has seen the Venetian can agree with that. We'll make that statement. We Our room is 700 square feet. It's an all-suite room with a sunken living room with things like a mini bar, a safe, and a fax machine, two television sets, three two-line telephone instruments with features like speakerphone and conference. I have My bathroom is all marble with two sinks and a closed toilet, a frameless glass shower, a separate bathtub, a makeup table with a Magnified lighted mirror. It's got uh, foot. It's got foot benches. It's got uh, in front of the beds. It's got two 27-inch television sets and a whole living room full of furniture. Can I move in now? now? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, well, not right. We're opening on April 14th. You okay. can move in then. Great. But that having been said, the size of the room is 700 square feet, which is twice the average size of a uh, the standard room in Las Vegas. We believe it's the best property. It's the best theme. It's themed very authentically. It's extremely interesting. People describe it with words like spectacular, like unbelievable, like I've never seen anything like it, like by far it's the best property in town. Things like it'll make a new Las Vegas. It'll attract new people. We believe all that. Of course, we believed it from the first day that we started to develop it. Let's take so, a break. When we, when we come back, I want to get into the marketing of, of the Venetian okay. and, and how you're approaching it. My guest is Sheldon Adelson, and we'll be back right after these messages. And welcome back to Las Vegas Notebook. I'm Ira David Sternberg. My guest is Venetian developer Sheldon Adelson, and 
Do you want to pick up from where we were? Sure. I was talking about that what we perceive, what we believe is the quality of the property. For that reason, we want the best employees, because if we're giving you the best property, consistent with that quality level, we feel we need the best employees, the ones who will be the most friendly, the ones who are the most competent, the ones who are the most talented. And we have to make them the most happy of all the employees in town. And to do that, to attract the best employees, we have to offer the best benefit package. So our benefit package includes daycare, on-site daycare, childcare. We have a, uh, a free health club that's run by Canyon Ranch, which is the best spot in the world. And they're running, they're running the employee health spot. We have 150% matching funds for a 401k program. We have a, uh, with certain limits, of course. Um, we, we have um, an employee concierge service. So all that a concierge does for guests in a hotel, it will do for uh, employees. And we have a flexible uh, a time-off plan, and we have a flexible benefit plan. So, for instance, if a con we have a concierge and you have to fill a prescription, but you can't do it because you're working, we'll get the prescription filled for you. So we'll do that for you. That's what a concierge does. We'll have a, uh, a benefit plan so that if your, your, your spouse works on another property and you have an off-the-shelf union and medical benefit plan, if you were union with us, you'd have the same off-the-shelf medical benefit plan, but you can't collect twice if you have a claim. So not being able to collect twice makes the, ex the same off-the-shelf medical plan worthless to you. So we have a cafeteria menu. We have a menu plan. You want dental and optical instead of medical? You can have that for you and your family. If you want uh, disability, long-term or short-term, if you want more life insurance or any type of insurance, then you can choose that. So you'll have duplicate, cover duplicate coverage that you can't collect twice on. So it gives you extra benefits for you and your family. And, and we have other benefits. And as far as job security is concerned, we have a sort of, I don't know what it's called, I think it's called the grievance committee. And if there is a complaint against the employee and disciplinary action is suggested, then you have to go before a, uh, the grievance committee. The grievance committee is made up of three of your peers three of your co-workers, and only two management. So it gives you the security of having independent judgment, particularly those people who work with you, not your bosses, but people who work with you. And then you have their management people to resolve the grievance. Now, what can anybody else get anywhere in any other forum or any other representation? Can't get any better than that. There's no package like that in all of Las Vegas, and that's why we're offering the best package. When you were thinking out the employee package and you were thinking out the marketing strategy, you were already thinking about, obviously, bringing Las Vegas to another level in terms of the property itself. That's correct. And you are, one thing you said at the meeting that I attended, the luncheon that I attended, and you, you indicated the high end of the market is expandable. And that's an intriguing concept because I think most people, if you think of the traditional quote-unquote high roller market, there's a finite amount of quote-unquote high rollers that will come in and spend a certain amount of money in the casino and then uh, you take care of them but but you're really looking at the non-casino base i'm assuming in terms of the high end because you're offering you talked about the casino centric theory in terms of everything revolving around the casino at your property the venetian it's really more of a total experience as i as i see it am i correct that, on that that's correct so when how did you get to that concept of going after that expandable upper end and not necessarily focusing just on the quote-unquote high roller, but really high-end travel, 
business travelers, high-end leisure travelers, etc.? I'll try to summarize it as succinctly as I can. In every business, and let's say in the hotel business, there are multiple strata, there's multiple levels of quality of customer. You have the lower quality customer who makes a reservation three months in advance, gets a non-refundable excursion price fare on the airplane, and looks for the cheapest room in the best hotel. And then you have somebody who makes a reservation a month in advance and says, well, I'll get a month in advance excursion fare, and if I don't get the excursion fare, that's okay too. I just want to go to Las Vegas. And whatever price the hotel says it is, as long as it's not over my budget number, I'd like to stay in that hotel. That's another level. And then you get the guy, and then there are other levels in between there. Then you get the guy who calls at the last minute and says, I want to stay at that hotel, whatever the price is, I'm staying there. And whatever the uh, excursion fare, I don't want excursion fare. It has restrictions. I don't want anything with restrictions. Now, those are different quality levels and different social, different economic brackets that people are in that care or don't care how much money they spend. Now, 93% of all the rooms in Las Vegas, are of all the keys in Las Vegas are standard rooms. That means 93% of the people who come to Las Vegas don't get a suite or don't get a suite all the time. Now, combine that with the different strata. We want to skim the cream of the market that's already in Las Vegas or attract additional market at the high end of those levels. We want the guy who says, I want the best room in town because I don't get a suite or I don't get a suite all the time. And I want to make sure that I have a suite all the time and the standard room at the Venetian is a suite. And by the way, we have suite suites. You know, multiples, just like any other hotel, let's say, a standard suite would be multiples of our 700 square feet module. So if you take two modules, which is a standard one-bedroom suite, it's 1,400 square feet. Mm -hmm. It's actually 1,464 square feet, but who's counting? So um, it is that higher level that we're looking to attract. The more affluent person that is willing to pay more for a room because he has a taste for a higher quality, and that doesn't necessarily make him a high roller. He could be a player without being a high roller. He could be an occasional comp customer. He could be what we call a casino rate customer. Or he could be a player customer. That's a complete comp customer. And there are various levels of comps. So if we have the better room and we have the better employee that's offering the better service, and then we have the Canyon Ranch Spot Club, which is a 65,000-square-foot spa, it's three times the size of the largest spa in Las Vegas. And when our Phase 2 gets built, it'll be five times the size of the largest spa. It'll increase from 65 to 100,000 square feet. Then we'll have, we have 15 restaurants in Phase 1, that they're, virtually all of them are brand-name restaurants coming out of their number-one market positions in each uh, in each market or each category. For instance, Emeril Lagasse will bring in, a, he's in the MGM with the New Orleans Fish House, he's going to bring in Delmonico Steakhouse. Wolfgang Puck, will, Delmonico's number one steakhouse in New Orleans. Wolfgang Puck of Spago fame will bring in Postrio, which is equally as famous in Northern California, which is another type of California cuisine, and that's Agate's number one, he's bringing that to the Venetian. Joe Kim's Flechelle has the number one French restaurants and brasserie 
Tina Pinot. He's bringing in Pinot. So we have 15 famous chefs and restaurateurs. Valentino's, Royal Star Chinese Restaurant, Lutess French Restaurant from New York, Star Canyon Southwest Food from Dallas, etc., etc. Because we are allowed to sublease to individual restaurateurs who are bringing their high-quality presentation, the high-quality food, and people who are in the culinary field want very much to work for these famous chefs. And that puts us in a unique position. So we have the, the, spa, the Canyon Ranch Spa. We have the 15 famous restaurants. We have the, uh, the Grand Canal Shops, which is a, a more advanced themed shopping mall. What some people say is, is the next generation beyond the forum shops. And I think the forum shops has done a fabulous job. And I have a lot of respect for what they've done there. And we look at, uh, we look at the quality of the room. Oh, in our Grand Canal shops, we have a canal with water and gondolas. So you could take a ride in a gondola. We even have a white gondola like they do in Venice, so you can get married. It's called the, the wedding gondola, so the bridal gondola. And then we have the quality of the room. We have the interior of our building, which looks authentically like Venetian palaces. And then we have the exterior of the building, which is highly interesting, themed with all the famous landmarks of Venice, on a, almost on a one-to-one -one scale. What about the entertainment aspects of it? Because there was a report today, uh, Don Utcherson in his Gaming Today column talked about that you're looking at possibly a salute to Sinatra as an entertainment offering. Well, we've leased out the entertainment venue, and it's being run by something called the Club at the Venetian. And they're developing, I think it's primarily a performing show, like a star performing show. Do you anticipate the We are in Phase 2 looking at a production show for Phase 2. But that's, you know, 1,700, 1,800 seat theater style presentation. So phase one is, in terms of a cost, roughly 1.3 billion, and then eventually going up to... About, well, total value is about 1.4 billion, give or take, including land value, but the actual cost is about 1.1 billion. And at this point, you're on schedule for your opening in mid-April? Uh, no, we're ahead of time. Oh, all right. We're opening on April 14th. We're scheduled to open a week later. You wouldn't want to open on April 15th income tax time. I think that probably would be. I'm not superstitious. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back with my guest, Shel Dadelson, right after these messages and your phone calls. And welcome back to Las Vegas Notebook. I'm Ira David Sternberg. My guest is Venetian developer Sheldon Adelson, and we're talking about the Venetian, and we'll take your calls as well at 383-8255-383-TALK. Hi, you're on the air. Sure. Go ahead. Oh, hi, how are you, Ira? Yes. Okay, Sheldon, how are you, sir? Good, thank you. Okay, first I want to say, Ira, you're very good at your craft. You're very good and articulate in questioning and anybody that comes on there, and you're very, very good, in my opinion only. Uh, Sheldon, sir, Truman Hawkins thinking about running for mayor, Sheldon. Would you be uh, his campaign manager, please? No. Uh, I, I'd like to stay out of politics. I'm really a, not a political person. I'm just kidding. You know that. Do you have a question for Sheldon? Uh, Sheldon, I respect and admire your savvy business skills. You're many entrepreneurs in Las Vegas, uh, the way you do everything. I'm new here, okay? I'm a new voter, too. But I, I agree. I think uh, those who have a fine establishment, hotels, restaurants, motels, whatever, they should be left alone. And Local 226 and others dictating every move you make on decision-making, hiring practices, and uh, whether it be the Venetian, others, entrepreneur, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, you should have that uh, final say. And those people that you hire that should be loyal anyway to 
Doc, I'm loyal to where I work. Okay, do you have a question for him? That is the question, Ira. I want to say, uh, sir, you're doing a very fine well, job. Good. And oh, I understand that, but I'd like to have people have questions. Thank you for calling. <laughs> Three eight three eight two five five. I don't mind people calling, but I'd like to have questions for you. Well, while, let them say while it. Okay. You're here. <laughs> no, it's okay for the first thirty seconds, but then when they go. Well, listen, the, the press seconds. hasn't been very good to me. If I get one caller that's saying nice things, <laughs> I'd like to hear it. <laughs> Let's talk about about the press. You, you certainly got involved uh, when oh about two three years ago, I guess, when this whole thing first started. You got involved in the political end. You got involved in the developing end at the same time. And I know you're shaking your head no, like you're you're no, not involved. I got involved in the political thing this past. Uh, it's an issue of fairness. This past election, just four months ago. Trust me, I've not been a political person my entire life. But and you decided it was time. No, I th think I was forced into it because uh, I've never run into a situation where the business community conspires with the unions to, and, and politicians to deprive non-union people from, uh, I mean, non-union perspective, non-union employers or employers who don't open up union and want to leave the choice to their workers. That's me. They want to deprive me of my ability to open and to be in business. They're, the union has a scorched earth policy. They don't believe that working men who don't pay union dues have a right to feed their children. So they want to keep food out of their mouths by, by obstructing developers who will give 20,000 jobs to, to, to working people. And that's what they're trying to do with me. You're going to stay in the political arena? For well, a while, I, hope now that I, hope, I hope if we get fairness, then we'll stay out of the political arena. I like one you're on the air with my guest, Sheldon Allison. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I just have a short comment. I'd like to say thank you for putting your money at risk so that we can have jobs in this town. Goodbye. Okay, thank you. Thank you for calling. Hi, you're on the air with my guest, Sheldon Allison. Hi, I just want to, I just moved here from Boston and actually, uh, have some, some, uh, friends that actually work at different casinos and, um, my comment is, is just, I want to say thank you, Mr. Allison, for, uh, for sticking up for us. The working person, so I appreciate that. Do you have a well, question thank, too? Thank you very much. No, uh, just uh, just appreciate it. I have a question of him. Can Go you ahead. say Park the Car and Harvard Yard? Oh, you bet I can. Great. I'm from Boston too. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Okay, thank, thank you. Three eight three eight two five five three eight three. Talk is our question. Is our question? Is our is our number? I'm hoping to get a question here, Mr. Screener. Do we have questions on any of these? Oh, he's not. He's not looking my way. Hi, you're on the air. Yes, Mr. Adelson, just want to tell you, there's a lot of us out here that are rooting for you. Don't give in to blackmail and extortion and hang in there. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your vote of encouragement. Hi, you're on the air. Mr. Adelson. Yes, sir. Bob Rose speaking. Uh, are you going to have to go before the county commission and get the sidewalk issue resolved in, like, as fairness to you as it is to the Mirage and others? Well, unfortunately, there's no fairness coming out of the district attorney's office who is telling the police who refuses to do his job and protect my private property. So we're taking the matter to court. Oh, that's the well, you'll have to because what is fair for one is fair for another, and I'm very much behind you, as you know. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Wills. I appreciate it. Thank you for calling. 383-8255, 383-TALK, if you have a question for Sheldon Adelson. Hello, you're on the air. Yeah, um... I got a couple of questions uh, for Mr. Allison, please. Go ahead. Uh, the current visitor rate of about 30 million visitors a year. I've seen some statistics from friends of mine at the Las Vegas Convention and uh, Visitor Bureau. They say that they think we need between 37 and 40 million visitors a year here to this town. The target number being 38 million is currently the conventional wisdom to 
uh, keep all of these uh, rooms filled or what have you. The, the inventory is going to be online here soon. And uh, I was wondering if Mr. Adelson agreed with that. And also, I'd like to hear his comments on uh, what he what he thinks the impact of the uh, California Indian uh, gaming uh, law that just passed down there when it gets it emerges from court. What what kind of impact that's going to have on it? Well, I would say that the uh, Las Vegas Convention Visitors Authority has been selling Las Vegas as a cheap place to go. I just did a press tour in Europe, went to several countries, and we've ta been talking to the international press recently. They asked me why Las Vegas continues to sell itself as a cheap destination. And as long as the current thinking at the convention authority and the R&R &R advertising that supplies its marketing advice, as long as that continues to sell Las Vegas cheap, I believe, based upon my experience in the tour business, that we have either hit up against the threshold of uh, the tour and travel budget end of the market or we're pushing up against it. So I believe there's limited growth, and that expansive growth is in the middle to the high end of the market where people have uh, deeper pockets and they're willing to spend more money and come to Las Vegas more frequently. So that's where we stand there. And what's what's the actual number? I don't think they know. And by the way, when they light candles, they should look skyward when they talk that way and say, <laughs> have you heard us? Have you heard us? So I, I think they're, uh, they're shooting in the dark with the numbers 37, 38 million. If I were that much of a, an accurate crystal ball gazer, you know, I, I think I'd be in the betting. I think I'd be in the other side of the betting business. You think you might get in the airline business like uh, Harris did, starting uh, national the seed money for national airlines in order to bring uh, uh, visitors and gamblers and leisure. Uh... I've already been in that business. I had an airline called Five Star Airlines, and I had five Lockheed L ten eleven Tristars. 350 passenger wide-body jets. You know, what's really amazing about yes. this National Airlines thing is it's reminiscent of what uh, I think it was Mr. Simmons, wasn't it, that owned the Hacienda 40 years ago? He had his own airline and was extremely successful. Well, I, I have my own airline. I don't see it as a highly profitable business. I'm going to leave that to other people. About the to answer your second question, To answer your second question, sir, Yes. Because Mr. Sternberg's giving me a little... <laughs> give me a little no, look. I just want to move on to other calls. Oh, gonna, okay, yes. I'll just answer the question. You know, when you hear about California Prop 5, when you hear about how valuable the California market is, everybody says 45% of the market in the weekend comes from California. Just look at uh, I-15 and look at, look, try to get a reservation from uh, Southern California to here on a Friday or Sunday night, back and forth. And then when you hear that Proposition 5 passed, people say, oh, we're going to live with that because it's only 30% of our market. You know, people read into it what they want it, what they want the rest of the world to believe. I think there is a difference. I had a discussion this morning with some visitors and one of my colleagues. I think there's a difference between the guy who goes to an indie casino just to play the slot machines for an evening and the type of person that represents the growth potential for Las Vegas. Will it hurt Las Vegas? I think it'll hurt at the budget end of the market, further erode that as opposed to limiting its growth. And I think that, uh, at the high end of the market, I think the high end of the market uh, doesn't go locally to play slot machines at night. I see. Thanks, Thanks for me. calling. 383-8255, 383-TALK. My guest is Sheldon Adelson. Uh, you mentioned the, the low end of the market being affected most. Do you foresee with the opening of the Venetian and as more high-end properties come online that there'll be a topping out of that high-end market not, growth? Not at all, because you need the high-end product. The Bellagio is, is, is the icebreaker. They they took a position of selling to the high end of the market, and they're high, offering higher-end everything. 
a nicer room, a nicer uh, uh, high-quality food. They're offering uh, high-quality spa, high-quality outside. They are trying to position and position themselves as a high-quality destination resort. Now, we are doing the same thing, of course, as a competitor. We think we're doing it better. We have a better room. We have better restaurants. We have better this, better that. Of course, I'm a competitor, and uh, obviously I have to say that. So I believe that uh, that people who are more affluent and people that can take time off of work, more time off of work, and more t there's an awful lot of people going to other quality destination resorts that are not coming to Las Vegas because they don't get the product and service that they used to at other destinations, at other resorts. Would a significant part of that market be the international market? Well, I told you, I just did a tour in Europe, and people asked me, the press asked me why I was there. They said in 50 years, nobody from Las Vegas has ever come, not an executive, not an owner, nobody. They asked me why I was there. I said to ask for your business and to commit to you that I'm going to do everything to deserve it, and then I'll do everything to keep it. So I believe that when you go to ask for business, they said that the convention, the convention people or the visitors' authority couldn't promote any particular single property, and they promoted cheap as cheap as cheap as cheap come to Las Vegas. And most everybody included on what the Europeans call a circle tour. 14-night trip, 12 different cities. So what can you get from Las Vegas? By the time somebody gets here, they're too tired to go and see anything. So you take a 12-city tour in 14 days, and the first and last day is arriving and departing. So see what you get out of that. I just think that uh, that if individual properties address other markets, including international, then I think you'll, uh, there'll be a reward for it. Maybe they can come here and stay in Las Vegas for 12 days and go to 12 different properties. Uh, maybe they could do that. That's a great idea. Hey, we'll, line three. we'll call that the strip tour. Hey, line three, you're on the air. Thank you, Ira. Mr. Adelson, uh, comment and a couple of questions. Comment. Appreciate what you're doing for the city, and I think if it's your money that builds that place, you run it the way you see fit. My two questions. One, what made prompt you to come here to Las Vegas to get into this gaming business? And secondly, what's your thoughts on this monorail, be it either coming from McCarran or just running up and down the street? I'll take it off the air. Thank okay, you. thanks for calling. The answer is, I'll, I'll, it's too long to answer the first question. Why did it come here? It's going to take 10 minutes to, to explain that. So with your permission, I'll just answer the second one. Sure. We can do a little bit of the background. I know it's rather extensive. Uh, okay. In terms of the, your the second, the sec well, I'm just an entrepreneur. I've been in business 53 years. You've had 50 businesses? Over 50 businesses. I haven't, I lost count now. But in terms of the monorail, it's just a boondoggle for the Hilton Corporation and the MGM. That's all it is. This monorail contributes nothing to the, it potentially risks bringing the public involved for private interest. It's going to connect, it's the, Politicals at the convention authority that they want to bring people over there, and it's primarily for the purpose of the Hilton. The Hilton is financing it. The Hilton is is the uh, the leader on the thing. It's called the Hilton MGM monorail, and all it is is the Hilton is not as successful as other prop Las Vegas Hilton is not as successful as other properties on the Strip, but it's it's a uh, it's a property that has to be maintained, of course, and I don't blame the Hilton Corporation for wanting to bring a monorail there. But I think they're, they're, it's a deception. I think they're pulling the wool over the public's eyes and blowing smoke in everybody's face. This is not going to benefit the public at all. The only one it's going to benefit is the, the Hilton, and it might benefit the Las Vegas Convention Center. It might, but I don't think it's going to take any traffic off the street at all. As a matter of fact, with the proposed expansion of the Convention Center, it's going to exacerbate the traffic. It's 
going to bring a lot more traffic on Paradise and off-strip streets, including the Strip. And, and I understand now that it's going to it's going to go as far as the Sahara. Have you thought through? Now, it's it's that's it. It's just a means of transportation to bring people to the Hilton and the Sahara. That's it. And I don't want it stopping at my property because it doesn't help me, and it simply takes away from my property. I certainly don't want it coming on Sands Avenue. We own the air rights over Sands Avenue, between Koval and uh, on, and the Strip, most of most of the the, the area. And we don't. I don't want a monorail in front of my property. I think a better location for the monorail, if the county wants to pay for it, and not tax all the hotels, is to bring it up and down the strip. Have you thought through, given the commitment you've made to building the Venetian, and also all the other aspects of it, the marketing and the employment, etc., which we'll talk about when we return, but have you thought about the traffic congestion on, stri on the strip and come up with maybe some way of dealing with it from your point of view? That we haven't uh, nope. discussed. No, I leave that to the to the experts, the traffic engineers. They know it better than I do. All right, we'll be back with my guest Sheldon Adelson and your phone call. And welcome back to Las Vegas Notebook. I'm Ira David Sternberg. My guest, Venetian developer Sheldon Adelson, and your phone calls at three eight three eight two five five. Hi, you're on the air. Uh, Mr. Adelson, it sounds like you're more inclined to treat your uh, employees as people rather than human resources. Would you agree with me that you have a far greater motiva motivation to have satisfied, happy employees than any labor union would? Because I believe other than physical amenities, the employee attitude is, is the other thing your clients are going to see, and it cannot be concealed. And happy employers are, happy employees certainly make for uh, very satisfied clients. You just hit the nail on the head. You've said it all. Thank you. I mean, the union is only interested in collecting dues. They don't care. As a matter of fact, the message they've sent to me was, through mutual friends, Tell Sheldon to write up a contract, and any contract he writes will sign. Is that is that of interest? Is that uh, supporting the interest of the working man? I don't like think follow so. the money. I, uh, may I ask one thing? Can you call your uh, uh, your department anything other than uh, human resources? Can you call it an employee department? I mean, that is the most obnoxious term I've heard. We are more. I, than... I, I know. I'm not in favor of that term, but it seems the rest of the world is. So I don't want to. I don't want to rebel against. Want to rock the boat in that regard? Thank you, sir. It's Thank become you for a profession. It also, the the other one is they now call employees associates, which implies they have some decision-making power, and usually that's not the case. But it's all everybody's an associate now instead of an employee. Hi, you're on the air with my guest Sheldon Adelson. Uh, yes, Mr. Adelson. I, uh, I'm in town for the uh, the magic show here. I've been coming, you know, always at the you know, Sands Expo. Wanted to find out what kind of convention area, if, if any, that the Venetian is going to have, because I, I couldn't imagine staying anywhere else once the show comes back next year. you got the hotel up. What convention area you ask? Yes, it will be under the same roof. It'll take you three and a half minutes to walk from the lobby of the Sands Expo Center to the elevator bank to take you to your room. It's actually connected. So it's three and a, it's it's under the same roof. And in addition to that, we have the world's largest column-free ballroom and the world's largest uh, convention complex. There'll be 110 meeting rooms, and there'll be the 85,000 square foot uh, largest column-free ballroom in the world. That's fantastic. So we can you know, I walked through the model room you had at the expo. It's a beautiful room. It's like uh, it's like rooms in Scottsdale or something. You know, it's it's beautiful, and That's I can't wait to stay there. Well, thank you very much. We look forward to having you as a guest. Thanks for calling. Three eight three eight two five five three eight three talk is our number. My guest is Sheldon Adelson, who is of course the developer of the Venetian. You also were responsible for Comdex. You were the creator of Comdex, and that I think when people saw that grow, were amazed at how year after year you were bringing all these people to town. Is that where you got the idea for the Venetian that? Since they're here anyway in town, I should no, build a building. No, it's actually, I'll, I'll say it uh, quickly. 
I gave the West Hall on Desert Inn Road next to Chateau Vegas a 127,500-square-foot convention center. I gave it for a dollar to the clock telling in 1983. The year right after that first show in October, November, I offered to the to the uh, convention center, to Manny Cortez, who was then, I believe, chairman of the convention authority, and Frank Sane, who was the head of the convention center. I offered him another half a million square feet free for one dollar, and they turned it down. So I went out. I had to protect the growth of Comdex, who needed more room. They wouldn't let me build another half a million square feet on their parking lot because it was theirs to use all year round. I just used it one week a year. And uh, and they got all the money from it. So I donated the building to them. And that was cost me $1,800,000. So what I did was going out looking for another building, going out for another uh, location to put up another building. And in doing so, we concluded that we would make the adjacent hotel successful. So as an entrepreneur, I said to my then partners, listen, why don't we buy our own hotel? We'll make our own hotel successful. And we'll, we'll, build our, we'll have enough land to build a convention center. So that's what we did. We looked for a property on the Strip with a good name, well-located, that had enough land to put up a million-square-foot convention center. And that's how we got into the hotel casino business. With the Venetian finished, you're also going to have additional convention space within the Venetian. We're adding, it's, we're adding right now another half a million square feet. As I said, we're adding another 42 meeting rooms, and we're adding uh, uh, 85,000 square foot column-free ballroom, the largest of its type in the world. So in other words, columnists are not invited into that ballroom. Uh, <laughs> hi, you're on the air. Yes, hi there. I, uh, I, I, I'm afraid it's a little difficult to ask interrogatories, uh, Ira, because Mr. Adelson has been so aptly covered. He's covered all the bases there are. I do want to point something out to anyone who has any doubts whatsoever. I've lived here 11 years. Certainly, I've witnessed the surliness, the ineptness, the rudeness. And that's because no one... Well, oh, you've listened to my show before. Pardon? <laughs> Nothing. I was just joking. <laughs> anyone that knocks himself out and tries to do a good job, they're not going to get any merit pay unless all the other clunks also at the same time get one. I think it's very, very important for people to understand that this is the only way we're going to get quality is to have quality people with merit raises, not because somebody cracks the whip and says, okay, it's raise time for everybody. There's nothing to work for. There's no goal. There's no ambition. There's no verve, uh, no no uh, camaraderie, nothing. And I applaud Mr. Adelson for everything he's done. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, and I certainly agree with you. Uh, it's Everybody deserves the right to be incentivized, and everybody deserves the right to be rewarded. Thanks for calling. Let me play devil's advocate for a second. You sure. could look at some of the properties, Bellagio, Mirage, Steve Wynn, and he uses union employees, and he has service. So how does that differ from the approach of the Venetian that would not use non-union employees? Because he, he has to run all his own restaurants, and he can't get an outside spire operator. Well, he licenses the names of the restaurants. They're not run by other people. Our restaurants are going to be with the owner operated by the individual restaurateurs and famous chefs with their money at risk. So you simply ask yourself, is somebody's license name hotel operator? Oh, by the way, I think it's I think he's done a very good job. <laughs> I eat there frequently. So it's not that he's done a bad he's done a very good job. But it's different. We think we'll do a better job. That owner operator with money at risk, chefs and restaurateurs will do a better job than union operated hotel paid for, hotel money at risk, and hotel operator. My guest, Sheldon Adelson, will be right back. And welcome back to Las Vegas Notebook. I'm Ira David Sternberg. My guest, Sheldon Adelson, who is the developer of the Venetian, and we're taking your phone calls at 383-8255. 
And Sheldon, you were talking about, can I call you Sheldon or Mr. Adelson or uh, Venetian developer or? How about Hey You? Hey You. <laughs> okay. The Venetian is going to open in mid-April. It's going to feature, as you talked earlier, April about 14th. April 14th, day before we have to file our taxes. You talked about the, the rooms, which are all suites. You talked about the dining experience, the spa. Do you think that... The shopping mall. And, oh, yes, and the shopping mall. The Grand mall. Canal Shops. Exactly. Do you think that the uh, Las Vegas, and says, oh, you've, you've stated this publicly, you're taking it really to another level. Will the rest of Las Vegas, not the rest of Las Vegas, but parts of, the say, the Strip, follow along? Or are, are they going to be satisfied with the markets that they're they're catering to now? That's a two-edged question for me. That's, the answer is a two-edged sword. Do I want my competitors to compete with me after I've given them the keys to the kingdom? The answer is no. But, however, I'm of the belief that if we all work together and they do improve their properties to the point where they address the high end of the market, it's like a rising tide. It carries all boats. If my competitors theoretically put in put in elements that are equal to mine or even better, it's going to be good for all of us. So if we all work together and we address the markets that are that that, that are expandable, it's going to be good for everybody. You know, growth has to continue. There's an old expression that says when growth stops, decay begins. And we can't stop growing and we can't we have to try to work together. The problem, the one obstructionist element in this is the culinary union. They've bought off some of the politicians, not all of them. There are still honest politicians left, believe it or not. And uh, th there are people, but many of, many of the people in public life are scared of the union. They don't want the union to come out and say, and the union threatens them. Well, when you say bought off, what are we talking about? Political support or what? Political support. Okay. Not, I don't, say, it has I don't say they're getting money. Well, no, no, yeah, no, I don't the say they're getting money under the table. Okay. I'm saying, and the union boasts about it, they will support and throw money behind. I was accused on television of, of wanting to buy the government. Well, first of all, the government's been offered to me. All I had to do was just buy, buy unionize, and then the government was mine. But I chose to take the honest route. I take the chose. Uh, chose to take the route that recognizes the right of the worker to decide for themselves. What is this brouhaha about? What is this unionization and a congressman from Georgia coming in? What's it all about? It's pressure put on by the union to get the, the, the press to say that uh, Adelson's a bad guy because he won't do this and he does that and he doesn't do that and he does this. Why? Because they want to put pressure on me to take away the right of the employees to vote in a secret ballot as to whether or not they want a union. The issue was a secret ballot issue. They want me to accept card counts so they could send bullies, 300-pound gorillas, to the homes at all sorts of hours through the night in the early morning or late at night to people and say, listen, if you don't sign the card, here's what's going to happen to you. If you don't sign the card, here's what's going to happen to your spouse that's unionized at another place, etc., etc. These are the stories that I hear. They refuse to make, they call secret ballots supervised by the National Labor Relations Board, a governmental agency, very anti-American, very un-American, sorry, very un-American. Well, that's insanity. I mean, it seems to me that as a, as a, as a democracy, that the one fundamental right we have is to be able to vote behind a, in a voting booth without pressure or coercion from anybody. And they want to take that away from my future employees. That's that's what this blue high is all about. And I'm not going to sell away the rights of my future employees for labor peace. Hi, you're on the air with my guest, Sheldon Adelson. Yes, is it me that's on the air? Yes, you are. 
Okay, my hat is off to Mr. Adelson. I went through that union thing uh, in Honolulu. I was a general contractor over there, and they threatened me and threatened my wife and that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, I won't tell you what I did, but I never did join them. Uh, you'd be surprised, the union guy there, uh, he changes his tune when you threaten him with a 45 in his nose. Okay, do you have a question for Mr. Adelson? Because we're short on time here. Okay, no, I just wanted to wish him good luck, and my hat is off to him. Keep Thank doing what you're doing. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, 3838255, we only have a few minutes left. When you open the Venetian, which will be in mid-April, well, let's take one more quick call, and then we'll, we'll finish up. Hi, you're on the air. Hello, Mr. Adelson. This Hello. is Tom McGowan. How do you do, sir? I have a question and a compound statement, and I'll be succinct. How soon can we meet and talk for 15 minutes? Now, by way of comment, the sidewalk issue is of state jurisdiction, supersedes Clark County DA and the Board of Commissioners Culinary Union constituency. You will win. Your neo-policy and process... Okay, you're reading, sir. We don't really want to take written statements on the air, so call back after the show, and you can talk to the receptionist at 385-7212. Sheldon, when the Venetian opens April 14th, are you going to give a preview of the property to people yes. prior to the opening? And what, kind, what form is that going to take? Well, we're, we're looking at, a, uh, at an April 13th sort of uh, private viewing to invited guests and the press so that... Uh, so that we'll you are inviting the press, even though you've had your moments with them? Uh... But you're just talking about the local press. Okay. Okay. Uh, but I'm talking about press both nationally and internationally. Okay. Beside the local press. There are no restrictions on press. We're not gonna, I've been asked many questions. But first of all, I'd, I'd like to give you my reaction. You know, I had no idea what I would confront. This is the first time I've sat on a radio talk show. And I had absolutely no idea what, the, what was gonna happen. But I am, I am tremendously moved by the very positive comments. And I think that what it reflects is the general attitude out there about this brouhaha between the, the conflict. I, I, everybody says I'm fighting a war. I'm not fighting a war. I'm fighting a defense for the rights of my future employees. It's the culinary union that's fighting the war. And I'm very moved and very warmed by the very positive reaction by the people. So I guess I can interpret that as the true reaction of the people. And maybe the, maybe the, uh, the print press is wrong. By giving, by giving all this favorable publicity to the union, and some of the journalists there have the wool pulled over their eyes and has the, has the smoke blown in their face by the union and all the accusations they're making about me, and they're just printing them. But I'm, I'm very gratified, and I want to thank the people very much that have called and that have expressed their support of, our, of, of my support of my future workers. Well, I thank you for being a guest on Las Vegas Notebook and taking time out of your busy schedule, especially with the property opening very shortly. So thanks. My guest has been Sheldon Adelson. He's the Venetian developer here in Las Vegas. And Ira David Sternberg saying so long. We'll see you all next week on Las Vegas Notebook.